Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. I'm Tracy from Stuff You Missed in History Class. Are you a small business owner or even someone who dreams of entrepreneurship? Then check out Season 2 of Mind the Business, small business success stories from iHeart Podcasts and Intuit QuickBooks. Join hosts Austin Hankwitz and Janice Torres as they interview entrepreneurs sharing insights around starting and nurturing a small business. You won't want to miss these inspiring stories of entrepreneurship and discovering ways to business differently so you can too. Planning your next trip? Choice Hotels family of 22 brands has over 7,400 locations and the perfect hotel for any traveler you want to be. Like a Cambria Hotel serving up locally inspired craft cocktails for all my folks who maybe want to meet up and talk about Mad Royals. Check into a Radisson Hotel with flexible workspaces for you strivers who listen during business travel. Or a Comfort Hotel with free hot breakfast, family-friendly pools, and big spacious rooms for the parents who listen with their kids and need a little retreat. What are you waiting for? Join Choice Privileges and start earning points toward your next stay. Find a stay for any you when you book direct at choicehotels.com, where travels come true. What does every grocery store aisle now have in common? Products that come in paper packaging. And not just the obvious ones like cereal boxes and juice cartons. From beauty products to boxed water, there are more opportunities to go papertarian than ever before. So why should you? Because paper comes from a renewable resource and can be recycled up to seven times. Simply put, it's the smart choice for the environment. And it turns out the easiest choice for you. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. Welcome to Stuff You Missed in History Class, a production of iHeartRadio. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Holly Fry. And I'm Tracy V. Wilson. And today's topic came about because of our episode on pies. <laughs> In that episode, we talked about chef Alexis Soyer, who became a very well-known chef both in France and in England, and the many recipes for pies that he included in his cookbooks and how he was always pretty happy to embrace new methods for cooking if he thought they would benefit his work. He was one of the first chefs to be like, y'all, pie tins, they're great. <laughs> There was also an incident in his life that I had seen mentioned in one of the articles I used while I was researching Pi that made me certain I wanted to learn more about him because it was a wild story. Hard to verify, but it sure is told over and over, so we're going to talk about it and some other things because his life is very fascinating, sometimes wild, often innovative, and we're just going to talk about Alexis Soye today. So Alexei Benoit Soye's early life is very cloudy. As we talk about it, keep in mind that most of what we do know about his youth is not from any records or even from Alexei's own recollections. It's from several friends who published memoirs of Alexei Soye after his death. It was based on notes from his life and anecdotes that he had told them. So it's like things they heard maybe from him. Yes. Maybe. His friend and secretary, Francois Volant, assembled most of this, although they had a falling out before Soye's death. And today, historians recognize that this memoir includes a lot of tall tales, a lot of inaccuracies. Some of these may have been included out of spite by his friends over disagreements that had come up among them during Soye's lifetime. I... I can't fault somebody for, you know, things that happen after they die, but you maybe don't have your frenemies <laughs> write your memoir. Well, I don't think he intended to. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Yeah. He, um, you know, he had secretaries that he employed throughout his life, many of whom had been his friends. And so, you know, he was, they were keeping general records of stuff. But yeah, there's a definite shift that happens in the the larger part of the 20th century any accounts of his life are based on those memoirs. And so there's a propagation of some of those falsehoods. And then things start to shift when 
more biographers and historians get better access to records and can cross-check things, but Mm -hmm. there's still some mysteries. So Alexei's birth certificate lists his date of birth as February 4th, 1810, although that biography mentioned above states that it was October of the preceding year. There is some theory that he may not have known his own birthday (laughs) or he had just picked a a different day. He was born in Mont-en-Brie and his parents were Emery and Madeleine Soyer. And the Soyers were quite poor. They had had a shop earlier in their marriage, a little grocery that did okay for a while, but it failed before Alexei was born. And Emery at that point was earning money as a laborer. Alexei had two older brothers, Philippe, born in 1799, and Louis, born in 1801. Emery and Madeleine had had two other children between Louis and Alexei, but those two babies did not survive. According to the memoir, Emery and Madeleine had a plan in mind for their youngest son's future, and that was a life in the clergy. But he was so ill-behaved at his school that he got kicked out. We do not know if that is true. And there's also been some speculation that the family may have really been Protestant rather than Catholic or possibly Jewish. That's based on the rarity of the family name and the fact that it matches only with that of Russian Jews that have been identified by historians. The story of the misbehaving choir boy being kicked out of the cathedral was one that Sway himself told people. So this may have been truth, may have been an invention. Right. This is also a time we've talked about on the show before when, like, France, heavily Catholic. Like, that was the societal norm. So that may have been part of why he kind of concocted this story. Alexei's older brother, Philippe, had become a cook. And in 1821, Alexei moved to Paris to learn that trade from him, something neither brother was particularly enthused about. Alexei, who was a kid at this time, wanted to be an actor, not a cook. Philippe had no desire to babysit his rambunctious little brother. But they did manage to work through their initial issues. And when Alexei became an apprentice at the restaurant where Philippe worked in Tiverval-Grignon near Versailles, apparently, once Alexei actually got into the kitchen and focused a little bit, he was really good at cooking. Keep in mind, though, he was still very much a kid. He was only 11 at the time that he moved to Paris, if we were going by that February 1810 birth date. After a five-year apprenticeship, Alexei was hired to work in a Paris eatery. Uh, it was called Douy, and obviously he was still just a teenager of 16. Soon he was moved up to the position of second cook and then was running the kitchen. There was a staff of 12 under him. He stayed at Douy for three years, fine-tuning his abilities, Biographer Ruth Brandon makes a point in her book, The People's Chef, that Soye found in the structure of a restaurant a stage where he, the chef, could fulfill his dreams of performing. It was just on a different stage than what he had envisioned as a boy. He does seem to have been the perfect match for the still relatively new restaurant scene of Paris. The city's first restaurant, Champ d'Oiseau, had opened in the 1760s, and the idea of Paris as the global epicenter of culinary excellence had quickly been established. Yeah, he got to, you know, perform in front of guests, essentially perform for his staff. He sort of loved the whole thing. And while he was at Douy, Alexis was trusted with more and more duties, including making catering deliveries. Because he was, by all accounts, very handsome, incredibly charming, and also really outgoing. He would often end up becoming part of whatever party the restaurant had cooked for as he waited for the dishes to be emptied throughout the event so that he could carry them back to be washed. One such incident allegedly ended with Soyer passing out on the way home. He had had a lot to drink and waking up without the restaurant's serving tray and without his pants. (laughs) This led to the young chef being given a nickname in the Paris papers, the Enfant Terrible of Montmartre. Soye seems to have had a really good time throughout the 1820s. He was a popular chef that clients loved to party with, and he clearly enjoyed that life. There's a poem in his memoirs which relays various images of Paris nightlife, and that ends with the stanza, which is translated as, quote, But hark, in the city the morning bell tolls, and workmen grab coffee and hot buttered rolls. The hammer and tongs have their work to pursue, but I hurry to bed. There's sleeping to do. 
When Alexei was 20, he was hired away from Douy by the kitchen of the Prince de Polignac, Jules Armand. Armand was an ultra-royalist, so his story, get ready, is pretty rocky. He was exiled to England during the French Revolution, and he was imprisoned for nine years when he returned to France, those years of imprisonment being 1804 to 1813, for his participation in a plot to assassinate Napoleon. Once Napoleon abdicated in 1814 and Louis XVIII was restored to the throne, Jules Armand became a peer under the reestablishment of peerage in the Charter of 1814. And Jules Armand raised concerns at that time that the constitutional oath that came with that peerage was disparaging the Catholic Church and the papacy, and as a consequence, it was the Pope who granted him this title of prince. When Louis XVIII died in 1824, his brother Charles X took the throne of France, and Charles X loved Jules Armand. He had made him an ambassador to England for six years, and when the prince returned to Paris in 1829, the king named him prime minister and as head of the French foreign office. For Soyer, being hired as assistant to the head chef for such an illustrious figure must have seemed like a really lucrative career move, although it was no secret that the Prince de Polignac was not popular with the people of France. So you can go ahead and prep your sad trombone for this one. Although it is also kind of funny. Alexis Soyer had been working for the Prime Minister for a month when Jules Armand and Charles X made some sweeping political moves that were incredibly unpopular. If you know French history, you know what's coming. Remember, Jules Armand believed firmly in the absolute power of the monarchy, and tensions had been steadily rising in the French political sphere since his appointment. On July 26, 1830, he issued four incredibly repressive ordinances designed by himself and Charles X to stop the growth of what the two men felt were radical elements in France's elected government. There had been no discussion about these ordinances with the Chamber of Deputies, Charles X believed that he had the right to govern via ordinances as a means to entirely do away with bipartisan bickering. This is, again, a very quick and dirty version of all of the nuances that were going down. You'll sometimes see these called the July Ordinances or the Four Ordinances of Saint-Cloud because Jules Armand wrote them while at Saint-Cloud. In them, freedom of the press was revoked, the elected legislature, which was the Chamber of Deputies, was dissolved. New elections were announced, and it's changed the rules of how the elections worked. These decrees were exactly as popular as you might expect, and starting the very next day, there were protests, which led to the July Revolution. These protests instantly impacted Alexis Soyer. His team in the kitchen at the Prince de Polignac's home had been tasked with cooking a massive banquet to celebrate Jules Armand and what he expected was going to be the new era for France. And while Soyer and his team were preparing this feast, a large group of enraged protesters had assembled outside of Polignac's home, and eventually they broke into the house, and specifically they broke into the kitchen. Two of the kitchen employees were shot. We've already mentioned the renowned charm that Alexei was said to possess. This served him in this tense situation. He started singing La Marseillaise. According to Alexei's recounting of the event, by the time this was over, the attackers were carrying him on their shoulders out into the street. Yeah, somehow he won them over. Made it out alive. Uh, his employer did not win over the people. <laughs> <laughs> Protests and riots continued for several days, and on August 2nd, Charles X abdicated, Jules Armand was arrested, and Louis-Philippe, the Duc de Chartres, was installed on the throne as Louis-Philippe I. Polignac was imprisoned for several years before being exiled, and Charles was exiled immediately. We'll talk about the transition in Soyer's life that this episode catalyzed, but first, we will take a quick sponsor break. I'm Tracy V. Wilson from Stuff You Missed in History Class. Did you know small businesses make up 99.9% .9 of all businesses in the United States? The world is powered by entrepreneurs. And if you're a small business owner or even someone dreaming of starting your own business, then you'll want to check out Season 2 of Mind the Business, small business success stories from Ruby Studio, from iHeartMedia, and Intuit QuickBooks. And every episode hosts Austin Hankwitz and Janice Torres talk to entrepreneurs about how they've grown from the 
the lessons of launching and nurturing a small business and how they have found success being their own boss. From the excitement of first starting out to finding the right tools and resources to process invoices and payments like QuickBooks Money, you won't want to miss these inspiring stories of entrepreneurship and discovering ways to business differently so you can too. And if you're a small business owner or even someone dreaming of starting your own business, then you'll want to check out season two of Mind the Business, small business success stories from Ruby Studio, from iHeartMedia, and Intuit QuickBooks. If you use paper, you're a human. But if you choose paper, you're a papertarian, someone who lives a paper-based lifestyle because it has a positive impact on the planet. And also because it's the easiest choice you'll make all day, seriously. It's as easy as reaching for boxed instead of bottled water. It's as easy as opting for beauty products that come in paper packaging. It's as easy as grabbing eggs in a cardboard container. And that's all in one trip to the grocery store, which, if everyone's being honest, you were planning to go to anyway. But paper isn't just an easy choice. Papertarians know that it's the smart choice, too. Because paper comes from trees, a renewable and sustainably managed resource. And paper products are designed to be recycled. In fact, when you choose products that come in paper-based packaging, those fibers can go on to be recycled up to seven times. So why wouldn't you go Papertarian? Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash Papertarian. Planning your next trip? Choice Hotels has a stay for any traveler you want to be with 22 brands and over 7,400 locations. Whether you're a business traveler, a family road tripper, someone who wants to seek out history and maybe make your own, or just planning a quick getaway, Choice Hotels has a stay for any you. Like a Cambria Hotel, where you can be a cocktail connoisseur and sip locally inspired craft beverages at downtown locations in the center of it all. This is a fun way to visit cities with a lot of history and a lot of fun in mind. Or a Radisson Hotel for all our productivity powerhouses out there. With flexible workspaces and on-site restaurants, you'll get the most out of your work trip. You'll get the coffee, the Wi-Fi, and the work done. And we can't forget about comfort hotels. Imagine you're a family road tripper, waking up in your big spacious room and then heading down to a free hot breakfast for the entire family, including waffles. So you'll be well-fed and ready for the day's adventure, even if that's just relaxing. After that, you're spending all afternoon relaxing by the pool. You deserve it. What are you waiting for? Join Choice privileges and start earning points toward your next stay. Find a stay for any you. Book directly at choicehotels.com, where travels come true. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There is still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI. And Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI in revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Although Alexis Soyer seemed to come through the July Revolution still being everybody's party pal, he also was smart enough to know that he couldn't count on that good fortune forever. He had, after all, taken a job with one of the most hated men in France. So he took off for England. His brother Philippe had already moved there, working for one of King George III's son, Adolphus Guelph, Duke of Cambridge. And just as had been the case when young Alexei moved to Paris, Philippe got his baby brother a job working alongside him. That was before Alexei started bouncing around the finest houses of London as everyone clamored to hire this fun, handsome French chef. In 1837, when Alexei was 27, he married an artist from London named Elizabeth Emma Jones, who went by Emma. She was three years younger than Alexei, and although she was only in her early 20s, she'd already really made a name for herself. Emma's father had died when she was four. 
Her mother hired a variety of teachers to handle her education, including Belgian artist Francois Simneau, who started giving Emma art lessons. Emma was good at just about everything she did, but she was exceptionally talented in drawing. According to an obituary written about her many years later, her artistic talent was so strong that her mother offered her teacher enough money he would stop taking other pupils and focus exclusively on Emma. She really flourished. Her art was exhibited at the Royal Academy when she was still just a child. The two met when Alexei was looking for a portraitist. His inquiries had led him to seek out Francois Simoneau, but the Belgian said that his student could take the job instead. He was kind of just pawning this guy off. Enter Emma. And Alexei was pretty much instantly smitten with her. There is a really quite darling story of their early relationship in that Alexei had sent Emma tulips and received in return a note that she said that he had been extremely forward in doing so. She had not asked him to send a gift and that the box and the flowers were going to be returned to him the following week. And she did send that box back, but when Alexei opened it, expecting to see dead flowers, what he actually saw was that she had sent him a painting of her tulips. I love that. It's the sweetest thing I've ever heard. I love it so much. The same year that Alexi and Emma were married, Alexi started a job at the newly formed Reform Club of London. The Reform Club, which still exists today, was founded as a private club for Whigs and radicals who supported the Great Reform Act of 1832. So that act, in just the quickest explainer possible, nearly doubled the number of men who were eligible to vote in Britain, and it attempted to address some of the corruption in the way various voting districts were structured. It didn't do a whole lot to help the working class, though, and it had its own problems. That's a different show, though. I think this came up recently, maybe on the gin episode, where we t- were talking <laughs> about, like, class differences and reforms yes. that affected some people but not others. The Reform Club's permanent headquarters at 104 Pall Mall were still under renovation when Alexi was hired to be the chef. So he gave a lot of input to architect Charles Berry to design the kitchen to really best suit his needs. And that kitchen is still famous. And it was toured almost from the moment of completion by other chefs who wished to copy it. It had a layout that, instead of just kind of being a cramped area, enabled the entire staff to move about in their duties without constantly knocking into each other. And it essentially had every gadget any chef might want. Because when Soyer couldn't find something that would suit his needs, he would just invent it. He was incredibly clever. And if you have ever cooked on a gas stove, you can thank Alexi Soyer. The building where the Reform Club was housed had gas lines that had been used for gas lighting for a number of years, and gas had already been used by this point in history for roasting ovens. But Soyer had the gas lines run to the cooktop because he thought it would be beneficial to have greater control over what he was cooking. He also ushered in the transition from just cooking in an oven until whatever you were working on was done to actually having temperature gauges on stoves so that you could set up a more precise food prep and know exactly how long your food was going to take to cook. I think we can also thank the gas industry for thanking (laughs) cooking on gas stoves because they've been a big proponent of doing that. We should also mention we're not talking about one kitchen. We're talking about kitchens, plural, because the cellar of the building where the kitchen we've been describing was didn't only have food prep areas. It also had a cellar, wine storage, rooms for the various staff, rooms for things could be roasted that kept the staff from having to stand in just a broiling kitchen. It was really a marvel. When Queen Victoria had her coronation on June 28, 1838, Alexi's brand new kitchen turned out breakfast for 2,000 club members in advance of the festivities. Yeah, that's often pointed to as having been possible because he had set up all of this, like, very structured, very organized kitchen where he could go, no, it's going to take me 10 minutes to make that, 20 minutes to make that, and he could balance the whole thing perfectly. Although Alexi was really having a banner time at this point in his life, he had this new job that was great, he had a kitchen of his dreams, he and Emma were deeply in love, there were some tragedies ahead. His brother, Philippe Soyer, died of consumption in 1840. And two years later, his beloved Emma died suddenly. 
She was pregnant at the time, and the baby was also lost. The story of this is a little uncertain. The lore is that there was a particularly intense thunderstorm the night of September 1st, 1842, and it had frightened her to the point that she went into early labor and that something went wrong. We don't actually know what caused her death. There are certainly a lot of late-term complications. She was almost at her due date, but we don't know. Alexei, to make matters worse, was away at the time in Brussels. He thought he had time to make this trip and get back before the baby came. And he is described as having gone into shock when he heard the news. Alexei chose to honor his wife's memory through charity. Several years after her death, he staged an exhibition called Soyez's Philanthropic Gallery. This was filled with Emma's work. Soyez had made a habit of purchasing any of Emma's works when they went up for sale, so... He would show them to people and talk about her and her talent at every opportunity. The philanthropy of the project was how the gallery profits were to be spent, which was setting up a soup kitchen for the poor of London. The project didn't make enough money to actually get that off the ground, though. No, but he did really innovate in that area, and we'll talk about that in just a moment. After Emma, though, Alexi did find love again. Francesca Teresa Giuseppe Raffaella Cerito, known more commonly by the name Fanny Cerito, was an Italian ballerina who had trained with Salvatore Taglioni and was the principal ballerina at La Scala from 1838 to 1840. From 1840 to 1848, she was contracted to dance at Her Majesty's Theatre in London, and in 1844, she met Alexis Soyer. The two of them were quite taken with one another, although Alexis was not the only man who was vying for Fanny's affections. And though Soyer is famous for his cookbooks, his first published work was a ballet scene titled La Fille de l'Orange, and that was very obviously about Fanny. He also created a rather famous dessert for her with a little mini version of his love dancing atop it in confection. Alexi's major rival when it came to Fanny's heart was Arthur Saint-Léon, a dancer who was her leading man. She chose the dancer when it came to marriage, although their relationship was rocky and they separated It appears that Fanny and Alexi may have rekindled their relationship, and it might have continued off and on for the rest of his life. There are some pretty good hints in there. There are various doings where they're in the same places and whatnot, but we don't have anything concrete to prove it. So while he was serving some of the wealthiest people in Britain at the Reform Club, Soyer had also developed a very keen sense of duty for feeding the needy, both in London and elsewhere. We have talked on the show before about the Great Hunger, the Irish potato famine. While Alexis Soyer may not have been aware of all the politics that had contributed to the severity of the situation, he saw hungry people and he felt compelled to help. After gaining attention by writing letters to various news outlets about this issue, British Prime Minister John Russell sent Soyer to Ireland with an invitation from the Lord Lieutenant of Ireland, John Ponsonby, 4th Earl of Besborough. Once he got to Ireland and assessed the situation, thanks to a leave of absence from his job at the Reform Club, Soyer decided to set up a soup kitchen and to help get some nutrition to Ireland's starving population. This is often described as the first proper soup kitchen, not just a place where people gave away leftover food, but an actual functioning kitchen where fresh food was prepared specifically for feeding the poor. He had concocted recipes for the soup kitchen before he left London, and he had tested his recipes on his wealthy and high-placed friends of England, making it clear that he thought everyone should have food that pleased the palate, no matter their situation. One of his recipes for famine soup includes drippings and a pound of cubed beef sautéed with two sliced onions, and then turnips, celery leaves, and leeks are added, and that's all sautéed a bit together. And then he adds flour, pearl barley, salt, and a little brown sugar, and water, and he lets the whole thing simmer for several hours. He carefully worked out the cost of making this soup to ensure that he could, in fact, feed as many people as possible, as healthfully as he possibly could, for as little money as possible. His goal had been to feed 5,000 people a day from this food counter, but the actual reported number was closer to 8,750 on the busiest days. He set up additional kitchens around Ireland, and once he had everything up and running, he handed off the management of those soup kitchens to local charity workers and returned to his job in London in 1849. 
That recipe sounds a lot tastier than a lot of the recipes that we talked about in our episode on home economics and, like, the (laughs) (laughs) the brochures and things that the government was putting out in the U.S. during the Great Depression to, like, encourage people to eat cheaper foods. Yeah. (laughs) This actually sounds pretty tasty, and that would, those sounded more like boil some cabbage a lot of the times. Yeah. Eat your boiled cabbage. If you like boiled cabbage, that's fine. (laughs) (laughs) The boiled cabbage people are coming for you, Tracy. They are. (laughs) So seeing that additional fundings was needed for such projects, Alexi used his fame as a chef to drum up some of that funding. While he was still in Ireland, he wrote and published a charity cookbook that was titled simply Charitable Cookery. It was written entirely so that all proceeds went to groups that aided the poor, The book's first printing of 10,000 sold out so quickly that another 100,000 were printed. Those were all sold within four months. After that, new editions were printed as needed for the next 20 years. I have in my head this vision that the the rich patrons of the Reform Club were a lot of the people buying these books, and they probably never cooked from them. Uh, (laughs) But it doesn't matter because the money went to good places. We are going to talk about another transition in Alexi Soye's life in just a moment. But first, we will hear from the sponsors that keep Stuff You Missed in History class going. I'm Tracy V. Wilson from Stuff You Missed in History class. Did you know small businesses make up 99.9% of all businesses in the United States? The world is powered by entrepreneurs. And if you're a small business owner or even someone dreaming of starting your own business, then you'll want to check out season two of Mind the Business, small business success stories from Ruby Studio, from iHeartMedia, and Intuit QuickBooks. And every episode hosts Austin Hankwitz and Janice Torres talk to entrepreneurs about how they've grown from the lessons of launching and nurturing a small business, and how they have found success being their own boss. From the excitement of first starting out to finding the right tools and resources to process invoices and payments like QuickBooks Money, you won't want to miss these inspiring stories of entrepreneurship and discovering ways to business differently so you can too. And if you're a small business owner or even someone dreaming of starting your own business, then you'll want to check out Season 2 of Mind the Business, small business success stories from Ruby Studio, from iHeartMedia, and Intuit QuickBooks. If you use paper, you're a human. But if you choose paper, you're a papertarian, someone who lives a paper-based lifestyle because it has a positive impact on the planet, and also because it's the easiest choice you'll make all day, seriously. It's as easy as reaching for boxed instead of bottled water. It's as easy as opting for beauty products that come in paper packaging. It's as easy as grabbing eggs in a cardboard container. And that's all in one trip to the grocery store, which, if everyone's being honest, you were planning to go to anyway. But paper isn't just an easy choice. Papertarians know that it's the smart choice, too. Because paper comes from trees, a renewable and sustainably managed resource. And paper products are designed to be recycled. In fact, when you choose products that come in paper-based packaging, those fibers can go on to be recycled up to seven times. So why wouldn't you go Papertarian? Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash Papertarian. Planning your next trip? Choice Hotels has a stay for any traveler you want to be with 22 brands and over 7,400 locations. Whether you're a business traveler, a family road tripper, someone who wants to seek out history and maybe make your own, or just planning a quick getaway, Choice Hotels has a stay for any you. Like a Cambria Hotel, where you can be a cocktail connoisseur and sip locally inspired craft beverages at downtown locations in the center of it all. This is a fun way to visit cities with a lot of history and a lot of fun in mind. Or a Radisson Hotel for for all our productivity powerhouses out there. With flexible workspaces and on-site restaurants, you'll get the most out of your work trip. You'll get the coffee, the Wi-Fi, and the work done. And we can't forget about comfort hotels. Imagine you're a family road tripper, waking up in your big spacious room and then heading down to a free hot breakfast for the entire family, including waffles. So you'll be well-fed and ready for the day's adventure, even if that's just relaxing. After that, you're spending all afternoon relaxing by the pool. You deserve it. What are you waiting for? Join Choice privileges and start earning points toward your next stay. Find a stay for any you. Book directly at choicehotels.com where travels come true. (laughs) 
When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There is still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI. And Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI in revolutionary Evolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more, while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. In 1850, there was a shakeup at the Reform Club. The decision was made by leadership that non-members could access the coffee room, and Alexis Soyer was incensed. So incensed that he quit. This was not the first time that he quit, but the head of the club, Lord Marcus Hill, had never accepted his resignation before. This time, the resignation was accepted, so if Alexei had been bluffing to try to get his way, it backfired. But that is only one version of this story. The coffee room was opened. It was really the dining room, and the decision had been made that two days a week, at lunch, the public could come in for a meal. This may well have affronted Soyer. His very posh, private dining experience was being turned into basically just a restaurant, But the truth was, he had been at the Reform Club for 13 years. During that time, he'd had a variety of clashes and reconciliations with leadership, and really, it seems like after his trip to Ireland, he realized he wanted something different than his old job. By all accounts, he remained on great terms with Lord Marcus Hill and the other members of the club's leadership committee. Yeah, there were various problems. Some patrons didn't like that he acted like they're equal and not like help, and there were complaints about that. He really did not care for social structure very much at all. But also, like, he just didn't put up with people being jerks, and he would tell them off and didn't care how powerful or rich they were. So, uh, you know, not everyone can stay in service forever. By this point, though, his notoriety as a chef and his charitable works, his kitchen design, and his inventions had given Alexis Soyer the leverage of pretty broad name recognition. So he signed a deal with the Cross and Blackwell Food Company to produce a Soyer-branded line of products. These were things like sauces and relishes, and the business deal really benefited the food company more than Soyer. But that doesn't seem to have been a particularly big issue for the chef. He had done quite well for himself financially. He got paid very well in the 13 years that he worked at the Reform Club. He didn't really ever seem to worry about finances once he had become a established as a chef. He wasn't especially preoccupied with money unless it was figuring out ways to finance food programs for public assistance. And we should point out, that's because he was sitting in a place of privilege where, like, he he wasn't worried about where money was coming from. Soye also capitalized on the London Exhibition of 1851 by opening a restaurant across from Hyde Park called Soye's Universal Symposium to All Nations. This is where he once again invented something we probably think of as a 20th century novelty, and that's a restaurant where every room has a different theme. The themes were all based on categories from the expo, and Alexi developed a menu with dishes that almost anyone could afford, as well as pricier fare for the more well-to-do diners. This all sounds kind of amazing, but it was a flop. The restaurant had been really expensive to build, decorate, and staff, and then after three months, he had to close the doors for good. Yeah, he really thought people were going to come out of the expo, be all excited about things, and then want to eat food related to the stuff they had just seen, which I 100% am his customer base, but apparently not everyone was. Uh, And although the restaurant closed its books with an estimated debt of 7,000 pounds, this is the very roughest of conversions, but after looking at several different ones, I came up with that being roughly equivalent to about $750,000 today. But Swaye still had income. 
His books and his branded foods had kept money coming in, and he also started working as a consultant during this time for events where large-scale banquets were needed. He only took jobs like that if the organizers of such events agreed that all leftover food should be given to the poor rather than go to waste. In 1851, Alexei discovered that he had family he had not known about in the form of a son. Jean-Alexis Lamain wrote to Soyer and told him that he was the child of a woman named Adelaide Lamain, who Alexei had a romance with before leaving France for England. Soyer did not question this young man's word and accepted him as his son. He visited Paris two years later and gave Jean-Alexis all of the legal rights of an heir, Lamain changed his last name to Soyer. There's some evidence that Soyer had always known that he had a son. The timing of his exit from Paris suggests that Jean-Alexis would have been born before the chef left for London. Yeah, that's one of those, it seems sort of mysterious, but then people are always like, he never once was like, I don't think I have a son, are you sure? He was like, oh yeah, that sounds right. (laughs) (laughs) So it seems like he might have known. The Crimean War began in 1853, and that was, of course, a conflict with the Russian Empire on one side and the United Forces of Britain, France, Sardinia, and the Ottoman Empire on the other. This is another one that's hard to parse quickly in a a small paragraph about someone's life, but there were multiple causes, including religion, Russian expansion, and the occupation of Ottoman territories as that dynasty declined. All of the combatants had their own various reasons and motivations for participating. This is a huge topic well outside the scope of this episode. What is germane to Alexis Soyer's story is that thousands of British troops had been sent to the Black Sea to fight, and thousands of them landed in hospitals that were understaffed and had woefully inadequate supplies. The British hospital at Scutari had been the location where Florence Nightingale and her cadre of nurses had gone at the end of 1854 to try to improve conditions and medical treatment there. But the situation they found was horrifying and dire. There were rodent and insect infestations, and patients were sometimes sitting on stretchers for days with no one to look after them. As news of these horrific conditions were reported in the papers, Alexis Soye read about the problems of the hospital, and he had the same desire that had led to his time in Ireland. In early February 1855, he wrote a letter to the Times offering his services. It read, quote, to the editor of the Times, Sir, after carefully perusing the letter of your correspondent, dated Scutari, in your impression of Wednesday last, I perceive that, although the kitchen under the superintendence of Miss Nightingale affords so much relief, the system of management at the large one in the Barrack Hospital is far from being perfect. I propose offering my services gratuitously and proceeding directly to Scutari at my own personal expense to regulate that important department. If the government will honor me with their confidence and grant me the full power of acting according to my knowledge and experience in such matters, I have the honor to remain, sir, your obedient servant, A. Soyer, February 2nd, 1855. And soon, with the help of influential and wealthy friends, Alexei had gained permission and authority to do as he asked, to travel to Crimea and do whatever he felt necessary to improve the hospital kitchens and the nutritional care of British and French troops. When he arrived, it was apparent to him almost instantly that they could cut back on illness simply by having good food that was properly prepared, because some of the soldiers were falling ill without ever having been in combat just due to malnutrition. Reports of Soye's efforts in Crimea describe him in a number of fascinating ways. One ambassador's wife wrote to Queen Victoria that the chef, quote, has done much good in the kitchens. He is a most ridiculous man, but quite perfect in his way. He was well-liked by the people he worked with in Crimea, and he and Florence Nightingale collaborated as they traveled from hospital to hospital, assessing each one and improving things in whatever way they could manage. Soyer was, we should mention, and we kind of referenced this earlier, an inventor, and that was part of what made him able to set up kitchens in places that began essentially with nothing. Throughout his work, he had done things like 
cook on a little mini stove that was powered by gas. It was something he called a magic stove. And he had been working on an apparatus that would come to be known as the Swaye Field Stove, which existed for a very long time. This was a portable stove that was comprised of what looks like a large metal drum that sat atop a burner. And on top of it, you could place a large cauldron to cook food in mass quantities. This stove was incredibly durable. You could use it indoors or out, and it would work even in inclement weather. Sway had intended to bring some of his stoves with him, and he did bring some, but only 10. That was far short of the 400 he had hoped would be ready when he left London, but he made do. In some locations, he had to design and build structures that could house cooking spaces and keep the supplies safe from the elements. He arranged that each regiment had a trained cook, not one of the men on cooking duty, but someone whose sole responsibility was feeding everyone. He also invented two different types of field rations that could keep for longer than standard rations and were more nutritionally balanced than what the soldiers had been getting. One was a dried and seasoned vegetable cake, and the other was a biscuit made using pea flour that he said could be, quote, soaked in tea, coffee, or soup. And according to some accounts, including those of famous figure Mary Seacole, the British-Jamaican proprietor of the so-called British Hotel of the Crimean War, Alexis Soyer retained that part of himself that had always been the convivial life of the party. Though Seacole was associated in the writings of Florence Nightingale with kindness, as well as, quote, drunkenness and improper conduct, her business, which Seacole described as, quote, a mess table and comfortable quarters for sick and convalescent officers, was kind of the perfect place for Soye to find some respite in what was surely a stressful and harrowing trip. Seacole called Alexei, quote, the great high priest in the mysteries of cookery and described him as good-natured and always a source of fun. Yeah, I think if you're going to think about Florence Nightingale's writing about anyone who was not white, you're going to get some. <laughs> you need to take yes. into consideration that she had some racist views. Swaye came down with a bacterial infection, which was debilitating during this. He spent weeks in bed. He never fully recovered, but he did return to the various camps where his stoves had been delivered to make sure the cooks knew how to set them up and use them. He almost certainly pushed himself too hard, including serving dinner parties where he could. When the war ended in 1856, he, of course, wanted to serve up a huge party. After a stop in Constantinople, Soye finally returned to London in the late spring of 1857. But though he tried to basically go back to his usual lifestyle after returning home, Soye was clearly weakened by his illness, and he continued to decline. He just never got better. He died on August 5th, 1858, and he was buried next to his wife. He left the artwork of Emma's that he had collected over the years to the National Gallery. And a portrait that she made of him is still on display at the Reform Club. I'm glad you did this one. Me too. It's not somebody I knew about at all. Do you have listener mail? I do. And since we are talking about someone who made his living making food, uh, I thought we would have a food-related <laughs> Uh, listener mail, this is from our listener, Rob, who says, I was tempted to write in based on the pie episode, but I didn't think my comments were pie-related enough. But the Minnesota put me over the top. I have a signature dessert that is less a pie than a pumpkin pie-inspired dump cake. I learned it as something called the Great Pie Dessert. I started calling it Upside-Down Pumpkin Pie, and after I started sharing with some friends on Broadway, it was renamed Pumpkin Crack. The name is how it has been known by at least four different shows as people have moved from production to production. Before the shutdown, one show almost had a standing order for it. Sadly, COVID protocols means that they cannot accept homemade goods at the stage door or shows that do require they be individually wrapped. That is beyond my talent level. Anyway, attached is the recipe with my modifications and also a picture I got with Tracy when I recognized her at the off-Broadway production of Puffs while you were both in town for New York Comic Con. Puffs Thank you for the great content. so good. Uh, also, he writes, oh, two Christmases ago, my sister and I updated our family cookbook. Next time I go visit, I will grab two to send you folks. It is clearly my family's cookbook as our chapters do not follow the progressions of a meal like many do. Instead, we start with the important recipes and have chapters for cakes, cookies, puddings, and candy and pies. Rob, this is amazing. Um, for our listeners, I will also, just as I did back when we got the amazing 
meatloaf recipe, I will ask if he's okay with us sharing this on like our social channels. Cool. Um, because I'm making it. I haven't made it yet, but um, this is going to be perhaps my downfall. I don't know. We'll see. It sounds amazing, and I can see why people want it all the time. So thank you for answering my call of people to send us recipes for delicious things. And it seemed like exactly the right thing to discuss while we were discussing Alexi Soyer, who loved sharing food with people. Uh, if you would like to write to us, you can do so at historypodcast at iheartradio.com, and you can find us on social media, where hopefully with Rob's permission, we will share that recipe. And uh, if you have not yet subscribed to the show, you can do that on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Stuff You Missed in History Class is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Good sleep should come naturally. And with the new Natural Hybrid mattress, it can. A collaboration between Lisa and West Elm. The Natural Hybrid is expertly crafted from natural latex, natural wool, and certified safe foams to elevate your sleep sanctuary and support a greener tomorrow. Plus, every purchase helps fuel Lisa's work with shelters and those in need. Don't put off a good night's sleep any longer. Get a Lisa mattress today for a sound sleep tonight. Visit lisa.com slash iHeart. That's l-e-e-s-a dot com slash iHeart.